0: However, I want to take the next couple of minutes, the time that I have left this morning, to tell you about a much better gift, a gift that has been made available to you, given to you for absolute free, a gift that required much higher skills, (laughs) way more power, much longer range planning. In fact, an amount of time that is absolutely unimaginable to bring this gift to you, presented as a present from the heart of God the Father, His Son, Jesus Christ. Consistent with the inherent nature of gifts, you don't have to receive it. You can say no thanks and walk away. People have been doing that for centuries, but I wouldn't recommend it because if you do receive it, if you believe it, John 3.16 says that you will enter into a brand new quality of life, a life that is eternal, a life that is beautiful. A life that is unimaginable in its scope, in its presence, in its way, and this eternity starts now. We don't have to wait until we die and go to heaven to start this wonderful eternal life. It starts here today, the moment we place our faith in Him, and every single day after that, as we continue to place our faith in Him, this life begins, and it just gets bigger and more beautiful as we live into it in faith. And I think God would, if he were standing here today, he would say, you're welcome. You're welcome. And that's the crux of the good news of the gospel. You are welcome to the kingdom of God. The invitation is wide open. It's absolutely available to everyone, regardless of how or why we arrived in this room this morning. That invitation is ours for the taking. This is the way that it's described by one of my heroes, the Apostle John. He is the literary genius who wrote one of the best, most loved, most quoted, beautifully organized and articulated books in all the world, the Gospel of John. In chapter three, he says it this way, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that probably sounds familiar to you. Whether or not you've ever been to church, that's the good news of the gospel. Gospel is a word I want to spend just a minute on Uh, If you're familiar with me, you know that every once in a while I Greek out on you, okay? I just get up here and I Greek out on you. This is what I'm going to do just for a minute. I'm going to teach you one little Greek word, euangelion, euangelion. See it in the Greek on the top line. You can almost see it in English. E-U at the front of the word. That U means good, Uh, like eulogy is a good word, okay? U means good. An angelion, even even with your English background, you can almost see the word angel, right? Angel. Two gammas, when they're together like that, they make an ang or an angel kind of sound. N and G together. Because an angel is a messenger, and this is a good message. This is good news. This is the word behind the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John. This is the message of the good news of the Gospel. It's good news because it's a gift. It's absolutely free to us. And it is absolutely, desperately need. It's the gift of Jesus Christ, his son. The good news of the Gospel. Now, the four Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Of those four Gospels, John is unique. John is different from the others. He's got different agenda, a uh, little bit, I mean, the same message basically, but he, he took a whole different um, approach to the message. He doesn't tell a birth narrative. He doesn't start with the, uh, Mary and Joseph and the manger and the angels and all that kind of stuff. He doesn't even start with the genealogy of Jesus going back for generation, generation, generations, all the way to Adam. He doesn't follow that. As a matter of fact, he goes way back further, further into history. As a matter of fact, he goes way back to the beginning. His gospel starts this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, Nothing was made that has been made. And then in verse 14, he tells us, who is the word? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Then John continues his gospel. He continues, this is how he starts his gospel and then he starts to tell stories. That's what gospels are. They're narrative material and one story follows another story. And John tells a certain selected group of stories that come right out of the box presenting Jesus Christ as God. What's interesting is the other gospel writers They use their gospels and they're telling their stories about Jesus, what he said and what he did to kind of build a case so that at the end of the gospel, everybody can see Jesus is the Messiah, he is God. But John, John comes out of the chute with it. Jesus is the Messiah, he is God. He was there at creation and he is the gift that has been given to us. And then in chapter three, We get to chapter three of John's Gospel, and we meet a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus had everything going for him. He was a Pharisee, he was a priest, he was a a famous, a well-known leader in the community of Jerusalem, the capital city of Jerusalem. He was a a member of the Sanhedrin, which is basically like their Supreme Court. So he was a political leader, a religious leader. He was was everything that that anyone in this culture could want to be. He stood tippy-top on the social ladder. You couldn't get any higher than Nicodemus. Nicodemus was well-known and well-respected. But when he heard Jesus, there was something about Jesus that sparked his curiosity And he came to see Jesus. He sought Jesus out. And he came to see him in the middle of the night. And he asked him a couple of questions. Nicodemus started the conversation with some kind of flattery. And Jesus brushed that off and dove straight in to some serious theology that he shared with Nicodemus there that day. And this, it is in the context of this conversation that we get our key verse, John 3.16. That's where those words were uttered in this conversation with Nicodemus. But wait, because then when John, he leaves chapter three and he goes into chapter four, he tells the story of another encounter and another one-on-one conversation with Jesus, this time with a woman. This time, Jesus initiates the conversation with a Samaritan woman. This is astounding uh, right out of the beginning because Middle Eastern men felt, and and to my understanding still do, that it's inappropriate to address, to to have a private conversation with a woman who's not your wife or your mother or someone that that you have a relationship with. You wouldn't approach, a, a, a Jewish man would never approach a woman by herself, unattended. So that's surprising, not to mention that she's a Samaritan. And there's this long history of hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. Not to mention that she has a bit of a questionable backstory that Jesus immediately lets the cat out of the bag and tells her that he knows the whole story. He knows her backstory. But he engaged her. He approached her. And although she would have been considered ritually unclean by his Jewish friends and neighbors, he received a drink of water from her. He not only invited her into conversation, but he continued to engage her in this conversation, and he recognized in her a very astute and spiritually formed mind, so much so that he shared with her for the first time. She's the first person that he shared his identity. I am the Messiah. I am the one that you've been waiting for. And she took that message, that truth, back to her hometown, to her village. And she became the first evangelist preaching the message that she had just learned from Jesus. And a couple days later, after Jesus spent a couple more days there, that entire village had come to faith in Christ. The Samaritan woman so here's what I'd like to ask you this morning. As we uh, arrive here in the fall of 2022, ready to start Bible study, ready to encounter Jesus ourselves, who do you more relate to? Do you more relate to Nicodemus? Have you been in church all your life? Have you done Bible studies more than you can count? Do people come to you, maybe seeking knowledge about scripture or even spiritual guidance? Or do you relate more with the Samaritan woman? You know what? I'm just going to call them Nick and Sam. <laughs> Nick and Sam. Maybe there's a backstory here. Maybe there are places you've been and things you've done and people you've known. You'd rather maybe not everybody talk about at Women's Bible Study on Monday morning. Or maybe, like most of us, you kind of fall somewhere on this line in between Nick and Sam. Here's the point. And this is the point that John has been trying to make, and I think this is the point that John thought Jesus was trying to make. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The invitation is wide open to absolutely everyone, no matter where you fall on this scale, no matter what the backstory is. As a matter of fact, Nicodemus, as I mentioned, came at night in the dark. And his conversation with Jesus is full of all these questions. It's like his brows are furrowed through the whole conversation. He's like, what, what, what? Nicodemus, with all this background, with all this knowledge, uh, years of study, he was a teacher, He he was a shepherd of Israel. He guided and led other people into the truth of Scripture. And yet, he seems kind of like he's in the dark. The Samaritan woman, she came in the middle of the day to the well. Jesus approached her in this conversation, drew her into this conversation in the bright light of day. And as you read through John's gospel, you'll see that John uses darkness and light to contrast with each other all the way through his gospel. Because Sam left that conversation full of light She had met her creator. She had met her Messiah. And she took that message forward and preached it from that day forward. Proclaimed it to everyone she saw. Have you ever wondered sometimes if maybe book knowledge actually gets in your way? Have you ever wondered if knowing a little bit too much actually can bring darkness instead of light if we aren't careful with it? if we allow ourselves to get arrogant or start to think that we know it all. But what happens when we come to the words of scripture? What happens when we come to our circles of Bible study, open in the bright light of day, ready to hear the word of God, with our hearts open to the sunlight, ready to receive any word that he has to give us? Okay one tiny other little Greek word. I don't even have a slide for it, but it's just so good. The Greek word metanoia, metanoia, it's translated repent, and it means change your mind. Sometimes we just gotta change our mind. And if we've got our minds so set because of all our study and all our learning, all our understanding, that we know who Jesus is, we've got him pretty well figured out, I've been hearing this all my life, I sing all the songs, then we're probably not in as great a place to listen and learn this morning. But if we're coming like Sam, we're thirsty, we're in a state of need, we're in a state of want, we want to hear from him, then we're ready to hear from the Messiah. We're ready to receive that message. So I'm gonna pray for us this morning that that will be the way in which we approach God, that God will be able to speak to us and we'll be able to listen. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for these circles of friends here this morning. We're grateful for the sense of welcome We're grateful for the gift that has been given to us. I ask, God, that we would not only feel welcome ourselves, but welcome one another in sisterhood and love this morning. That we would all find an equal place at each table, in each conversation, ready and open, waiting to hear your word. We love you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.